Welcome to the Cross and Witness. This is Pastor Patrick Hines here at Riddle Heights Presbyterian Church. And uh, today I'm going to do a special program in response to an email I got from an old friend uh, back in the, uh, the homeland up there in Ohio. Uh, and evidently he's got a family or, um, that have been uh, sucked into the Hebrew Roots Movement. And I don't want to get into all the details with that. I've had a few dust-ups with uh, Hebrew Roots folks. And uh, I had a guy um, trying to tell me that uh, the whole New Testament was written in Aramaic. And he actually recommended um, the Aramaic English New Testament to me. And uh, looked at the editor, Andrew Gabriel Roth. Lo and behold, um, it's Sibelianism, it's modalism, it's an ancient heresy. Um... Denies the Trinity, denies the deity of Christ. Um, wow, what a shock! Uh, <clears throat> there, there really, there really isn't much new uh, in terms of insights uh, that people come up with these days. Uh, usually, when people latch onto things like this, it's just recycled old heresy, and that's exactly what this is. And so, we're getting, you know, some some bizarre arguments here. This uh, fellow forwarded me a, a discussion thread uh, from this guy who's trying his best to deny the full deity of Christ, which is a shame because if you have a Jesus who is something less than God, uh, then you have a Jesus that cannot save you. But from reading through this email a couple times in preparation to do this, uh, it doesn't seem like he believes he needs a savior anyway, because he keeps the Sabbath and uh, keeps the dietary laws. So I guess he's going to heaven. Um, yeah, we're ju justification by keeping the Sabbath and keeping the dietary laws. Uh, there's there's an interesting biblical concept that's not true, uh, but let's go ahead and just plow through some of this. This is some of this is pretty standard Sabellian uh, modalistic uh, argumentation. Uh, this is stuff that Christians refuted uh, 1,700 years ago, but like all the other uh, errors and heresies, uh, Christological heresies, Trinitarian heresies, uh, they, they just resurface under new names. Uh, this is just the Hebrews movement. And I remember thinking, as soon as that guy forwarded me the Aramaic English New Testament, and he was trying to defend dietary laws, and, I mean, it's, I mean, seriously, you can just, like, push play on these people, and what they start saying. Uh, Acts chapter 11. Um, Peter, kill and eat. Peter, kill and eat. Um, what is that talking about? Oh, that's not lifting the dietary restrictions. Oh, no, 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 no. He's just making an illustration so he would, he would know that Gentiles can come into the church now. Really? That's all he's doing? What about, what about when uh, Paul rebuked Peter uh, in Galatians chapter 2? Remember that? When he rebuked him um, because he withdrew from table fellowship with Gentiles. And, and Paul's like, hey man, I've seen you eat BLT sandwiches before. Bacon, lettuce, and tomato. You've done it before. So why are you trying to force Gentiles to live like Jews? Etc. Etc. Because the dietary restrictions have been repealed. Oh, no, 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 no. He's just trying to teach him about the inclusion of Gentiles. Blah, blah, blah. It's just not faithful to the text of scripture. This is what happens uh, when people deny sola scriptura, um, they can't read the Bible. The Bible makes no sense to them. And what it says is irrelevant. Now, in this email that I was sent here, uh, a lot of things are, are said here. And um, uh, my, my friend said, I've thrown verses his way, but he retorts with Greek and Hebrew translations and says they don't mean what the English have made it to mean and how we understand it today. Very common. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses do the same thing. Um, I have never met a Jehovah's Witness that actually knew anything about the original languages. And my suspicion here, having plowed through this, this email, is that this guy doesn't know anything about the original languages either. They'll memorize a few arguments, um, but the fact is they've never studied the languages, so they really don't know anything about syntax, about um, uh, lexicography, nothing. They don't know anything about the languages. They have their, you know, you hear an argument, you turn your brain off and push play. And then here, here comes the... You know, stuff about John 1.1 1, 1 and, well, Yah Yahweh is the only true God, so that must mean that he's Unitarian. Uh, that That's the assumption that we put behind everything. And you just think, no, that's not an assumption that you can make. The passages do not say that. So let's, uh, let's uh, read, I'm going to read through some of this. And I'm going to go into some more detail about why Christians uh, have always believed in the full deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and believed that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Not that Jesus is the Father. Uh, that's one thing, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses have been to my house five times in the last six years. And one, one guy, they, they always say the same thing. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God, not that he's God. And I've always said the same thing. All you just proved is that the Son is not the Father. 
We don't believe that Jesus is the Father. But that's just, it just doesn't compute. Because once you've bought the assumption of Unitarianism, the Bible doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Okay, so let's, uh, let's see if there's anything original here. <clears throat> he says, people seem to talk a lot about who God is. Mainstream Christians say, Jesus is God. Buddhists say God is in everyone. In India, God is a certain man-made statue or a certain man-made picture in whatever temple somewhere. But they're all wrong. Let me publish the answer so you can know. Here it is. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Is that supposed to be uh, news to us? Uh, we are monotheists. Yahweh is the only true God, indeed. What does that have to do with uh, Jesus not being God? Nothing. It's just, what's the assumption? Every time the word Yahweh is used, what is the presupposition? What's the assumption? Because they don't believe in Sola Scriptura, and they've already bought this external authority that's telling them what to believe outside of Scripture. Every time the word Yahweh is used, he can only be one person. He can only be one person. That's just an assumption. Everywhere the term is used, it's just one person. God cannot be a, a tri-unity of persons. That is the assumption, and that's not a biblical assumption. Sorry. Okay. <clears throat> the Greek phrase there is logos and theos. Word in God, I guess, is that a quotation from the Septuagint? Theos translates to the English word divine, which more specifically means from God. Okay, so this is exactly the testimony about him, that he was sent to earth and made into flesh by his father to do his father's will and not his own. Yeah, let's zoom in on Genesis 1 for a second then. If you cross-reference John 1.1 with the Septuagint, you'll find the Greek theos is interchangeable with the Hebrew word Elohim. That's right, Genesis 1.1 um, and John 1.1. Uh, are identical. Uh, at least the opening words are NRK and Halagas, um, right there in uh, in the Septuagint. I mean, John 1 1 in the New Testament, NRK and Halagas, Kai Halagas and Prostantheon, Kai Theos and Halagas. The, the first few words there, uh, in the beginning, that's a mirror directly from the Septuagint uh, translation of Bereshith bara Elohim Hashemayim Wa'eth Haaretz. The first words that are used there um, are translated exactly the same way NRK, in the beginning. That's right. Okay, uh, let's see. As far as English goes, Elohim is improperly called a name for God, but used only as a loose-fitting title. That's, that's actually true. Elohim is just the generic Hebrew word for God. I mean, Dagon is the Elohim of the Philistines. Okay, The word Elohim is not a proper title. That's not the covenantal name for God. Elohim is simply the generic Hebrew word for God. Now, sometimes it does refer to the one true God. Uh, in in uh, Genesis 1-1 in Hebrew, Bereshith bara Elohim. Bereshith bara Elohim, okay? Uh, in the beginning, God created. That is talking about the true God. Um, but Elohim is not the covenantal name. The covenant name of God is Yahweh. Okay, for example, the God whose name is Yahweh is titled the Elohim of Elohim, the God of gods, right? In Deuteronomy 10, 17, that's true, and it's also irrelevant to what we're talking about. Uh, now, do you remember when the soul of Samuel, that's right, the soul of Samuel, is the, the term Elohim is used there. Quite, quite true. What does that have to do with uh, Jesus? Nothing. Same word in Genesis 1. What does that have to do with Jesus not being God? Nothing. That angels and demons are called Elohim. Right? What does it have to do with Jesus not being God? Nothing. Again, same word in Genesis 1. That Moses was Elohim to Pharaoh. True. Exact same word, Elohim. That is true, and that's irrelevant to the issue before us. <clears throat> so this title is on quite a lot of different resumes. <clears throat> this makes it so you can't say Elohim refers exclusively to the only God whose name is Yahweh. And I would say, what could be more obvious? Of course. Who, who's saying that? The name on God's resume is Yahweh, not Elohim. Well, that's an interesting way. The name on his resume? I think that the proper way of, of putting that is the, the covenantal name of God is Yahweh. That's how God has revealed himself covenantally to his people. And like it says in the prophets, Zechariah 14.9, And Yahweh will be king over all the earth. On that day, Yahweh will be one in his name. One. That's true. And that's irrelevant. And then he says, But you make his name to be three. No, we don't. No, we don't. We say that within the nature of the one true God, there are three persons. Because that's how the scriptures reveal it to us. We have to believe that because that's how the Bible teaches it to us. 
Anyway, are you saying the English word God is interchangeable with the Hebrew word Elohim? Uh, it's a valid gloss for the word Elohim, yeah. Um, we're not saying that everywhere where the word Elohim is used, it refers to the one true God, though. And here, here's the shocking thing. Here's the thing that that is obvious and should be obvious. Context. Context tells you how the word's being used. Okay? So, when Elohim is used to describe Dagon, the Elohim of the Philistines, that's obviously not the, the true God. Okay? But in Genesis 1-1, it is the true God. Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, context de de determines how the term's being used. Because if you are, that's essentially what the translators thought too, and really that only helps my point, and it's a big deal. Okay, whoever this is, no translators have ever thought that. No, no Hebrew translators have ever thought that the word Elohim means the covenant God of Israel everywhere it's used. That's, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. No Hebrew scholar would ever make a, a mistake that big. Okay? I mean, you learn that in the first two weeks of first year Hebrew. Okay? That's absurdity. <laughs> I mean, what, what did he say? That's essentially what the translators thought too. That's ridiculous. No translators have thought that. No translators have ever thought that. And in John 10, Christ points out that the scripture calls us the same word Elohim to which the word of God came. That's, that's a really a really bad misunderstanding of John 10 and its use of Psalm, Jesus's use of Psalm 82 um, that's used there. It's a difficult passage to interpret, but I'm not even sure what you're saying. Um, he, he uses the word Elohim to refer, he, he uses the term Elohim to refer to the unjust judges that Psalm 82 is pronouncing judgment against. Okay. <clears throat> so the word Elohim from Genesis 1 has a whole slew of separate and distinct beings that fit the title Elohim in Hebrew. Yes, that's true, and what could be more obvious? What does that have to do with Jesus being God or not being God? Nothing. Any, even any person to whom the word of God has come, which is even both you and I. But there's only one God whose title is Elohim of Elohim, and his name is one. His name is Yahweh. That's true. And that your assumption is Unitarianism. And that's what all Sibelians and all um, heretics that hold this, this ancient heresy of modalism have always said, his name is one, not three. Um, <laughs> there's only one God, not three gods. Um, I am a monotheist and Christian people, uh, who have affirmed the deity of Christ from the very beginning, uh, all the way, way back, uh, in the new Testament, the early church fathers, Ignatius of Antioch in his genuine epistles refers to Jesus Christ 14 times as quote, our God, end quote. Okay. Everyone from the beginning, has believed in the full deity of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that we think there's three gods. Okay? It's just it's just funny. You make his name three, not one. Uh, no, he has one name, Yahweh. Okay, <clears throat> I cannot believe that just because Christ is Elohim, that makes him part of some mysterious, unexplained godhead of three, and that I must worship Christ for being part of this unexplainable mystery. No, you worship Christ because that's what the New Testament teaches us to do. Okay, look at Revelation chapter 4. They worship the Lamb. Okay, in uh, Matthew 14, 33, when Jesus calms the storm, what did the disciples do? They fall down in the boat and they give proskuneo, worship, to Jesus. And he doesn't, he doesn't say, no, 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 you worship Yahweh, not me, not me. He accepts it. In Matthew 28, they worshiped him. And he doesn't stop them. He doesn't rebuke them. Now, when John falls down at the foot of the angel in the book of Revelation, what does the angel say? No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Worship God. But when people fall down and worship Jesus, he, he accepts it. Why? Because he is Yahweh. He is God the Son. And that's what Christians have always believed, because that's what the New Testament teaches very clearly, as we're going to see here. It's not some mysterious, unexplained Godhead of three. That, that's, that's just rhetoric without meaning. That, that's so typical of this perspective of Sibelians and modalists from, from the beginning, from 1,700 years ago. Same old argument, same old nonsense. <clears throat> it, you worship Jesus Christ because Jesus is God, as we're going to see here in just a moment. Okay, it only means the English translators use the English word God interchangeably with the Hebrew word Elohim, and that is extremely helpful to recognize that. Um, no, the, the English word God is what the word Elohim means, but the context in which it's used determines what it was referring to, okay? Because that's how language is read. You look at it in its context. Otherwise, you have to acknowledge that anyone and everyone in the Bible who is called Elohim must be part of the Godhead. 
Only if you've never heard of context. Context tells you uh, how words are being used, okay? Which would make many more than three in the Godhead doctrine, which is something you or I or anyone for that matter sincerely believes. Therefore, it's easy to see how Hebrew would read John 1.1 1, 1 in their own language. Because of the evidence in the Septuagint, John 1, 1 could read like this, the word was Elohim. But that's not what it says, um, okay? Kaitheos ein halagos is what's called a predicate nominative, okay? They're both in the nominative case. Halagos has a definite article. It is joined together with the linking verb, um, uh, the imperfect form of aimi. Theos is a qualitative predicate nominative. The word is divine, not, that doesn't mean, as you said earlier, from God, okay? It doesn't mean from God. There is a perfectly valid way of saying that. You could say um, pros, or you could say ek, from God, or something like that, but you would not say kaitheos ein halagos. That means the word was God, okay? That means that what, what God is by nature, so is the word. I mean, the, the, the verse is beautiful. NRK ein halagos. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with Tantheon, meaning the Father. So you have two subsistences here, two persons in view here. And the word was God by nature. It's a qualitative predicate nominative. Syntactically, that's what it is. Okay. Now, <clears throat> you've memorized some stuff that your false teachers have, have poured into your brain, um, but you don't know anything about Greek grammar. Okay, qualitative predicate nominative. Kaitheos ein halagos. And the word was God. Okay, what God the Father is, the word is, by nature. Okay? And that's what Hebrews 1.3 says as well. Um, that the, the Son is the exact character of the hypostasios, the nature. The nature of the Father. Not that he's like him or from him or similar but he has the identical nature. Identical nature. Okay? He is the brightness of Yahweh's glory. Apagasmates daxes. Okay? And the exact representation of his nature. Hupastasiastes character. Exact representation of his nature. Nature. Hupastasias. Alright? Now, maybe... Maybe hupastasias doesn't mean nature, but that's what every lexicon that I've ever read says. The Athanasian Creed is based on Hebrews 1.3. The Nicene Creed, Hebrews 1.3. He is the character of the hypostasios, the nature of God the Father. Identical nature. So there are, there are three persons within the one true and living God. Okay, let's, let's press on here. <clears throat> I think you should be more fair to the movement and not discount us so quickly. Well, the, the, there's nothing original in your arguments here. Everything that you said here was refuted by Christians um, almost 2,000 years ago. Okay, there's nothing original in any of this. This is the same standard, horrifically bad analysis of scripture based on a Unitarian assumption that your cult is feeding you. I'm only associated with them because I keep the commandments like Sabbath and clean eating and people just lump me in with them because we have those things in common. But in the judgment, I'll be answering for me, not for the Hebrew Roots movement. That's scary to me um, because you know who's going to be answering for me at the judgment? Jesus Christ. My surety. My savior. So you really think keeping commandments like the Sabbath and clean eating, is that going to get you into heaven? And the judgment, you'll be answering, you'll be answering for yourself. I want to assure you, you will not stand in the judgment. You need the shed blood and the righteousness of the God-man, of the savior of the world. See, this is the thing that's totally missing, completely missing from this email. I'm wondering, what do you even think the gospel is? How can I, as a sinner, be right with God? By keeping dietary laws? By keeping the Sabbath? Is that how we do it? We justify ourselves by our own law-keeping? It's amazing. You see, once you have a Jesus who is something less than Yahweh, you have a Jesus that cannot save you. What does Jesus become then? The example. He just sets a good example, and we follow his example, and we, we keep the Passover, and we, we go back to Old Testament types and shadows, and hopefully by keeping those commands, you know, hopefully we can, I guess, sort of tip the balance in our favor and end up in heaven. See, all heretical forms of Christianity, they're all the same. I mean, whether you call it monophysitism, whether you call it Eutychianism, Apollinarianism, Sabellianism, modalism, this, this stuff, um, it's all the same. It's always a false gospel. It's always, how do you get to heaven? 
by keeping Old Testament dietary laws or the Sabbath or, or whatever. How are you made right with God? Well, you don't have a Jesus that can save you. You see, the scriptures teach us to watch out for this, to watch out for false Jesuses. Okay, listen to what scripture says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven three, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, <clears throat> so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. There are other Jesuses. Yeah. There's the Jesus of the Sibelians, who is from God and similar to God, but not God. Not God. He's like the Jehovah's Witnesses say, the Archangel Michael. Um, there's the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses. One God among many gods. One God among many gods. There's the Jesus of the Unitarian Universalists, who is just a really, 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 really nice guy. Who taught people to be nice and be moral. There's the Jesus of the mind science cults, who is an advanced medium. There's a Jesus of the civilians, who is just a representative. He's, he's, uh, he's from God, but not God. I mean, he's not part of some mysterious three-in-one or something like that. I mean, we've heard all this before. It's just old, recycled heresy. Okay? Sad stuff. Okay. Um... Alright. What more is there to say? Alright, he, he says, You have made Christ your idol. Exactly how the ancient Israelites made the bronze snake their idol during King Hezekiah's reign. Christ even said, The Son of Man will be lifted up like the snake in the wilderness. Huh? The, the point is lifted up on the cross. That's what he's talking about in John chapter 3 when he says that to Nicodemus. Okay, he's not saying I'll be lifted up like an idol. What, what are you saying? I mean, what, what are you saying? Are you saying Jesus is predicting how people are going to, like, idolize him or something? That's not exegesis. That is a twisting of our Lord's words there, of my Lord's words there uh, in John chapter 3. That's, that's horrendous. And now you, just like wicked Israel, have need of a king like Hezekiah, a king to destroy your idolatry. Wow. <clears throat> okay, so that's... Uh, that's about the, uh, that's the, that's the end of the, of the email. Okay, so let's, uh, let's look at uh, the biblical text here a little bit and look at uh, what it teaches about uh, the deity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. One of the things that we have to lay the groundwork for first here when it comes to the blessed doctrine of the Trinity is that um, there is only one true God. A few things are clearer in the Old Testament. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.35, to you it was shown <clears throat> that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other besides him. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 6.4, hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah 43.10, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me. There was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Isaiah 44.6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, Yahweh Tzabaoth, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. I am the first and I am the last. You know, there's someone else, someone else said that about themselves. Uh, that would be Jesus in Revelation 117. Uh, and that was, uh, that was Yahweh there in Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says Yahweh, King of Israel, and his Redeemer, Yahweh Tzabaoth, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Revelation 1.17. When I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Thus says Yahweh, I am the first and I am the last. Jesus says, I am the first and I am the last. He's appending a divine title to himself. This is one of hundreds of passages that force us to the conclusion Within the nature of the one true God, there are three co-equal, co-eternal persons. They, they, they are all said to be worshipped. They are all said to have created the universe. All three are co-powerful, co-glorious. That's why we believe it. It's right there in the text of scripture. But once you've abandoned Sola Scriptura and have embraced an external authority, whatever this cult is that you've gotten into, what the Bible says is irrelevant. What the Bible says will have no effect on you whatsoever, I assure you. 
Isaiah 45.5, I am Yahweh, there is no other, there is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is no none besides me. I am Yahweh, and there is no other. <clears throat> okay, here, now you said that uh, we've made Jesus uh, into our idol. Look, listen, listen, uh, you said, you have made Christ your idol. Exactly how the ancient Israelites made the bronze snake their idol. Okay, um, listen to uh, Thomas after he sees the resurrected Christ. Okay, listen, listen to the, the text of scripture. You know, you, you sound like you, you claim to know Greek, so I'll go ahead and read it to you uh, in Greek. Apokrithe thomas kai apen auto ha kuriasmu kai hatheasmu. And Thomas answered and said to him, Hakuriasmu, my lord. You know what kurias is? Kurias is the Greek translation of the word Yahweh in the Greek Septuagint. Hakuriasmu, my lord. Kaihatheasmu, and my god. So Thomas worshipped Jesus as Jehovah, as Yahweh. Hakuriasmu, <clears throat> kaihatheasmu. My Lord and my God. Now, well, he's making Jesus into an idol. What would you expect Jesus to say here? No, 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 no. You, you've got it all wrong. I'm not, I'm not Yahweh. I'm, I'm not God. What are you talking about, Thomas? Stand up on your feet. You worship God. You worship Yahweh. He's the only God. Because we have to assume Unitarianism. He doesn't. What does Jesus do? He congratulates him. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Thomas worshipped Jesus as Yahweh. <clears throat> my Lord and my God, he called him. Okay, a few more passages here. Uh, we can go on and on and on and on from the Old Testament. God, there's only one true God. Yahweh is that God. Okay? <clears throat> there are three persons, however, within the nature of the one true God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, Matthew 3, 16 uh, and 17, there you have the entire Trinity in view at the baptism of Jesus. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You have all three persons right there. Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, all things have been delivered to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. Okay. And on and on we could go here, uh, etc. <clears throat> all right. Let's look at uh, some clear passages uh, about uh, the deity of Jesus Christ himself. All right. Colossians 2, 9. I'd be fascinated to hear your exegesis of Colossians 2, 9. Okay, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. For in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. What was it you said? Oh, it just means he's from God. He, he just came from God. All the fullness of deity. Ata pleroma teis theatetas somatikos. All the fullness. Pan Ta pleroma, all the fullness, taste theatetas, of the Godhead, of deity. That's what theatetas means. Divine nature, deity, somatikos, dwells in bodily form. How are you going to exegete that one? Well, because we assume Unitarianism, so it's not allowed to mean that, right? Is that is that the way we do this? Okay, look at Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 one, two, and three. Another key key passage. God, after many, <clears throat> after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets uh, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Okay, <clears throat> Apogasma tes doxes, kai karakter tes hupastaseos altu. The exact representation of his nature. That's what hupastaseos means. What does hupastaseos mean? Oh, it just means he's from God. <coughs> Hupastasis means substance. Nature. 
What is Jesus? He is the nature of God. Not that he's like God, similar to God, from God. He is God. Is God. The character teis hupasta seos altu. It's right there. Black ink on white paper. Unless you have a presupposition that says Unitarianism must be true, Jesus can't be God. He can't. He can't be. I wonder, do you pray to Jesus? Do you pray to Jesus? Do you pray to him? Um, Stephen did. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Do you pray to Jesus? I do. Stephen did. Do you? I've never met a modalist that did. Because oh, you're only supposed to pray to Yahweh. You only, you only worship Yahweh. And Yahweh is only the Father. But Jesus is Yahweh. Thomas worshipped him as my Lord and my God. Koreasmu kaihathayasmu. My Lord and my God. Not my representative of God. My guy that came from God. Representing him so closely that he can even bear these titles. But it doesn't really mean that. I mean, those are the kinds of arguments that have been used for centuries, and they're just as bogus and fallacious now as they've ever been. Here's another good one. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what's called the Granville Sharp construction. The Granville Sharp construction. Great God and Savior. Substantive, Kai, substantive. Um, yeah, article, substantive, Kai, substantive. They refer to the same person. God and Savior. Now, for the longest time, the modalists like yourself would say, No, no, no. God means the Father and Savior is Jesus Christ. No, God and Savior. Tu megalu theu kai soteras hemon Jesu Christu. The great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Both of those, both of those refer to Jesu Christu. God and Savior. Do you call him that? Do you call him God and Savior? <clears throat> Let's see. John 12, 39. John 12, 39 is another one that's a real problem for our modalist uh, friends. Uh, John uh, 12, 39. For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, <clears throat> um, verse 40, He has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Hmm. Okay. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. That's what, I, that's what uh, John 12, 41 uh, is referring to here. Isaiah chapter 6 is Isaiah's vision of Yahweh high and lifted up in the temple. Um, yeah, Yahweh. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw Yahweh. I saw the Lord. Uh, sitting high high and lifted up. Adonai, the Lord. Adonai, it's not Yahweh there, it's Adonai. High and lifted up. And his robe filled the train of the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And then you have the holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And there you have, not Adonai, but Yahweh. Yahweh and Tzavaoth, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And John chapter 12 says Isaiah was talking about Jesus. He saw Jesus' glory. Because Jesus is Yahweh. Now that doesn't mean we think Jesus is the Father. Or that he is the Spirit. There are three subsistences. There are three persons. Co-equal, co-powerful, co-eternal. Each of whom is called God. Each of whom is worshipped. Each of whom is attributed with the creation of the universe. Another passage, uh, Colossians chapter 1, 16. Here's one that's real important. For by him all things were created, by Jesus Christ, by him, by him all things were created. Not, well, he's the, uh, he's the agent through whom God, God made things. Because yeah, the, the, the term dia is used, that means through, but here it's, it's uh, by him. Who created the universe? Who created all things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities? All things have been created through him and for him. By him all things are created. Jesus Christ. But what is what is uh what does Genesis 1 1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but here Jesus created the heavens and the earth. 
and everything in it. Because Jesus is Yahweh. Now, immediately they're thinking, well, you're saying Jesus is the Father. No, we're not. We're not. We're saying there are three persons, each of whom is given divine titles, each of whom is said to have done what only God can do, each of whom is worshipped, each of whom is called God, each of whom is called Lord. <clears throat> That's why Christians have always believed uh, these things. On and on. Let's see, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. But to the Son, he says, and then verse 10, You, Yahweh, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. How, how do you deal with that one? To the Son, he says. Huyas, the Son. To the Son, he says, You, Yahweh, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. I thought you said there's only one God, and that's Yahweh. And that's not Jesus. You made Jesus into an idol. But the Bible keeps calling him Yahweh. Yahweh, because he is Yahweh. He is. All three of them have that title. All three persons have that title. And yet there's only one true God. Verse 11 of Hebrews 1. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. Look, listen to verse 10 again of Hebrews 1. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. That is said to God the Son, because he is Yahweh. Over and over and over and over and over again, divine titles reserved for Yahweh are given to Jesus Christ. How can that be if your theology is correct? It's because it's not correct. And not only have you destroyed the Godhead, not only have you destroyed the biblical Christian doctrine of God, you have no gospel. You have no savior that can save you from your sins. Now, now what do you do? Well, I keep the Sabbath and I, I don't eat, I don't eat, uh, unclean foods. I assure you that is going to avail nothing on the day of judgment. You need the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to your legal account or you're going to hell. You will not be justified on the day of judgment. You will, that, that's to me the most frightening thing that you said here and this thing that was forwarded to me here. <clears throat> um, I'll be answering for me. Whew. That's not going to go well. Jesus Christ, my surety, my legal representative, he'll answer for me. Thank God. He's the one who died for all my sins. He bore the curse in my place. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse, huper hemon, in behalf of us. And Christ's righteousness, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Romans 5, 17, 18, and 19. Glorious stuff. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to answer for yourself? Hey, I keep the Sabbath and clean eating. Uh, that's not that's That has as much chance of passing the judgment of God as a spider's web does of stopping an avalanche. It's not going to work. And you will be sent to hell. You will be condemned before the law of God because you've not kept those commandments. No one has. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely, doreon, freely, as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. Helasterion, helasmas, sacrifice to turn away divine wrath. Do you believe in him? Do you know him? You clearly don't. You clearly don't. You've turned him into something less than God. You have what Paul called another Jesus, a different gospel, a different Jesus, a different spirit that cannot save you and will not save you. Will not save you. Okay, let's look at a few more um, testimonies here. Uh, to the deity of Christ, um, it's such a glorious truth. I mean, we could spend, good gracious, we could spend a lot of time uh, addressing uh, this issue uh, of the full deity of Christ. You know, John one one. You know, we already looked at that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and Kaiphaos ein Halagos, the Word was God. Qualitative predicate nominative is describing the quality of the Lagos. The Lagos is divine. What the Father is, so is the Son by nature. And then John one fourteen. The word became flesh. Who was the word again? Yahweh. God. Yahweh. Who became flesh? Yahweh. And dwelt among us? Yahweh. That's why Christian people worship him. That's why we 
pray to him like Stephen did. I would ask you, do you pray to Jesus? Do you pray to him? Stephen did. Stephen did. Christians always have done that. Do, do you? Can you? I would assume you, you can't because oh, that, that's turning him into an idol. Was Stephen doing that? Were the New Testament writers doing that? Clearly not. Your theology is not biblical and you've been duped. You've been tricked by a cult. By an ancient heresy. John 5.18. <laughs> here's, here's a passage right here. Let's look at the original language on this one. John uh, 5.17 <clears throat> and following. This is really where the, the entire attitude of the Pharisees and of uh, Pharisaic Judaism completely changes uh, towards uh, Jesus. Because he heals the man at the sheep gate there. And he did it on a Sabbath day. The guy was lame for 38 years. 38 years. And Jesus told him, pick up your mat. Take up your mat and walk and go home. So the guy picks up his mat. And of course, the, the Pharisees, you're breaking the Sabbath because they had all sorts of extra regulations they added to the simple Sabbath commandment. They had turned the Sabbath day into a curse, into a day of fear because the people might violate their extra rules. So the poor guy, you know, has been lame in his legs for 38 years, not been able to walk. He gets up and he walks. And the Pharisees immediately want to kill Jesus. And he says to them, in John 5, 17, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God, Theos, his own father, making himself equal with God. Making himself equal with God. With God. Okay. Elegan ton theon. Isan. Equal. Healton himself. Poyon. Making. To. Thao. Making himself equal. With God. Not, not saying. I'm a, a representative of God. I came from him. I just came from him. Oh, do you, no, 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 no. You're, you're misunderstanding me. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm equal with him. No, they understood exactly what he was saying. He was making himself equal. With God. And that's why they wanted to kill him. I wonder, how would you understand John 5.18? He was making himself equal with God. With God the Father. Equal. Equal. Equal with him. How do you understand that one? Can you exegete the passage for us? Can you exegete the original language? It sounds like you're either claiming to know the languages or you're pretending that you do. I'm not... Usually when modalists do this and Sibelians do this, it's just they've memorized a few things they've heard from their false teachers and they, they just... Throw them out there because most Christians don't know how to respond to them, but I, I'm not convinced that you know anything about the languages. <clears throat> Let's look at one more. John 8, <clears throat> 58 and following. Let's look at, uh, actually back up a couple of verses. <clears throat> John 8, 56. Here you have Jesus arguing with his opponents at the Feast of Tabernacles. John 7, um, 8, 9, and 10. You have his trip to, to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, and you have a long discourse uh, in John chapter 8 with his opponents there. Then you have the healing of the man born blind. Then you have the Good Shepherd discourse in John 10. But John 8 has a lot of really important stuff in it in terms of claims that Jesus makes about himself. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, he tells them. And he saw it and was glad. <clears throat> John 8, 57. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And listen to what Jesus says next. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. Before Abraham was born, I am. Ego, I me. That is a direct translation from the Septuagint from Exodus 3.14. When Moses asked Yahweh from the burning bush, What's your name? Who should I tell the children of Israel sent me? What does it say in the Greek Old Testament? The Greek translation? Ego, I me. I am. What does Jesus say here? About who he is? I am. Why? Because he is Yahweh. Who was that talking from the burning bush to Moses? Jesus Christ. The pre-incarnate Christ. God the Son. Now, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not what he means. That's not what he means. But look at the next verse. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. Why would they do that? Because they knew exactly what he just said. Jesus is claiming to be Yahweh, the one and only true God. But don't you believe God is three? Yes, yes. But he's claiming to be God in the fullest sense of the word. I am. They picked up stones to throw at him. Now, if your theology was correct, Jesus would have to go, whoa, whoa, whoa what, what are you picking up stones for? 
No, no, I, I didn't mean that. I, I, I'm not saying that I'm actually God. I, no, 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 you, you've misunderstood me. But he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't correct their misunderstanding. Because Jesus Christ is God. And if you have a Jesus who is something other or something less than Yahweh, you have a Jesus that can't save you. I noticed in this email, there is not a whisper about the gospel. There is nothing here about how you as a sinner can be made right with God. I guess that's a total mystery. Because once you have a Jesus that's just, eh, he's just a representative, he's just, he's kind of a new lawgiver. The cross, ah, doesn't even make any sense. I mean, what, why did he do that? Well, what's the cross? Um, it makes salvation possible. He, he, he takes away the wrath and stuff so that we can then obey sufficiently to get ourselves into heaven or something like that. But the problem is, if you have a Jesus that's less than God, you're not going to understand the gospel at all. You have a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. You have a Christian faith that is false, and you have a gospel that cannot save you and will not save you. If you believe in a Jesus who is something other than Yahweh in human flesh, kai halagas sarks agenata, and the word became flesh. Who is the word? Kai theos ein halagas. God. Qualitative predicate nominative. The identical nature, the the hypostasios tes character, the exact nature of the Father. That's why we believe in the Trinity. The Scriptures give us no options. There are clearly three divine persons, three, in the one true God. It's not some mysterious three-headed God, and that's just demagoguery. That that's just rhetoric without meaning. It's just believing what scripture says. You need a divine savior. If you don't have a divine savior, you have a Jesus that is a different Jesus. Just like Paul said, there are tons of Jesuses out there. There's tons of false Jesuses out there. If you have a Jesus that's less than Yahweh, you have a Jesus that cannot and will not save you from your sins at the last day. I assure you. Okay. All right. Let's see. Is there anything else? Uh, I think there's really nothing else in the... Uh... Yeah, email. Let me just read one little anecdote I had in my uh, sermon manuscript here from a while back. I preached on the deity of Christ. Um, in that passage in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, key text, uh, verses 3 through 6, I, I hope that you'll open your Bible and read that and recognize you've been given a false Jesus. You've been given a Jesus that cannot save you and will not save you because he doesn't exist. Uh, Paul says, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, which is what you've been taught in this call, this Hebrew roots stuff, uh, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And Paul's point is, don't put up with it. Believe in the Jesus that we preached to you. We have to be aware that there are other gospels, other spirits, and other Jesuses out there that which, which mimic Christianity. The words, gospel, spirit, Jesus, grace, salvation, God, they really don't mean much unless they're defined biblically. And so we must hold fast to the biblical teaching on these matters and always be going back to scripture. I remember Walter Martin telling the story of doing a lecture on Mormonism where a number of Mormons were present. And during the question and answer session that followed, a Mormon woman stood up and said to, to Dr. Martin with a, a bunch of passion, Sir, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. To which Martin said, Which Jesus? And she said, what do you mean? Which Jesus? And Martin said, there's lots of Jesuses out there, ma'am. There's a Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses, who's the Archangel Michael. There's a Jesus of the Unitarians, who was just a very good man. There's the Jesus of the Theosophists, who is an advanced medium. And then there's the Jesus of the Mormons. One God among many gods. The offspring of Adam, God, and the Virgin Mary. The spirit brother of Lucifer, who became the devil. And then there's the Jesus of the Sibelians. There's the Jesus of the modalists. The Jesus of the Hebrew Roots Movement. What is he? I don't know. It's just a representative of God and some, some kind of lesser lesser something. What, whatever you think he is, you just can't believe he's God, which is what the Bible teaches. And that's the way Satan works. If Satan can get you to embrace a Jesus who is something less than God, he has secured the damnation of your soul. Because you have a Jesus that can't save you. And from the looks of this email... You're not even looking to Jesus to save you anyway. What are you looking to to save you at the last day? God is a holy God. He's going to judge you by the standard of his Ten Commandments. Those commandments do not allow any room for failure whatsoever. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short. 
We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be shut, and all the world become guilty before God. Romans 3.19 Therefore, by the deeds of the law, therefore, by keeping dietary laws, therefore, by trying to keep the Sabbath, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, the dikaiosune tutheu, the righteousness of God apart from the law, has been revealed. It is a gift of righteousness. We receive it by faith alone, in Christ alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2, 8-10. What a beautiful passage. Great passage. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. Not by keeping dietary laws, so that no one can boast. Not by keeping the Sabbath, or trying to keep the Sabbath. Not by keeping the Passover, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or any anything else, lest anyone should boast. It is the grace of God alone, and it's faith alone, and Christ alone. Romans 3.28 Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith, chorus, apart from obedience to law. Apart from the works of the law. Apart from deeds of righteousness. The only righteousness that can avail before God in the day of judgment is that righteousness that was achieved and performed by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And the only Jesus that can save you is the Jesus who is God the Son, Yahweh, in human flesh. And I truly hope that you'll repent of these gross errors and come to know him as your Savior. This is Pastor Patrick Hines of Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church, located at 108 Bridwell Heights Road in Kingsport, Tennessee, and you've been listening to the Protestant Witness Podcast. Please feel free to join us for worship any Sunday morning at 11 a.m. sharp, where we open the Word of God together, sing His praises, and rejoice in the gospel of our risen Lord. You can find us on the web at www.bridwellheightspca.org. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. I'm so